All right. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? All right, we are back in the second chapter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to keep on going through. The title of the message this morning is Remember the Fundamentals. Remember the Fundamentals. And we're going to be in verses 8 through 19. So I hope you guys are engaged this morning. God desires to speak to you. God's word is living and powerful, which means it's not just we're reading out of some book but rather that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has anointed the words on these pages in front of us uh, to be power, to be living. And what that means is that God desires to use this word, this text, this scripture uh, in our lives to change us, to mold us, and to ultimately make us more like Jesus. And so uh, remember the fundamentals. Now, if you have ever played sports, then the word fundamentals should be familiar to you, right? In every sport, there are certain fundamentals that are true for those who play for fun or even those who play professionally. Meaning that even if you like baseball, right, there are certain things that uh, you uh, may be playing in Little League, there's certain fundamentals that even the, the guys in the pros in the MLB, they have to do the same fundamentals. They've just gotten so good at the fundamentals that they now get paid for it. It's more than just a game. I remember in the years that I, I played basketball and baseball, those were the two sports I played growing up, uh, starting with baseball when I think I was four years old. And uh, I remember, it's just in my head still, I remember hearing my coaches tell me, right, remember the fundamentals or go back to what we've taught you. Because if you know anything about sports or maybe there's something else that you do that's, that's physical in nature, uh, maybe it's riding horses or whatever it might be, um, that oftentimes more than just the physicality of the sport, there's a lot that is mental, right? There's a, there's a big mental thing uh, when playing sports. And oftentimes you can get in your own head, right? You, you practice, you played, you, 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 you built that muscle memory, but then now when you step up to the plate, you just, you're overthinking it. You guys know what I mean? You're overthinking it in a way. And I remember hearing my coaches at times, and he's like, go back to what you know. Remember the fundamental, back to the basics. And our bodies are amazing. And over time, right, there's that muscle memory connection that is made. And from practice, that those things become stronger and stronger, and so it becomes second nature. Well, in a similar way, as we progress through chapter 2 here in 2 Timothy, this is what Paul is coaching Timothy to do, to come back to the basics and remember the fundamentals, all right? Now, in our last study together last week, uh, we looked at those first seven verses of chapter two. Does anyone remember the title of the message? It was a little out there, right? A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And, and we looked how Paul related these illustrations to the Christian life of the one who desires to fulfill the great commission. And right, we looked at the soldier and found the lesson of single-mindedness and devotion. 
We looked at the athlete and found the lesson of discipline. And then finally, we looked at the farmer and found the lesson of dedication. All right. So now as we turn our attention onward uh, to the following verses, Paul seeks to bring Timothy back to the basics concerning the truth of God's word. He wants to remind Timothy of the fundamentals. All right, let's pray. God, we come before you and uh, we love gathering together in your name. The psalmist said that it is good for us to go up to the house of the Lord. And Lord, it's good to be in your presence today. And we look to you. Uh, Lord, this is where we should be. This is where we desire to be. And Lord, if there's a part of our heart that is apathetic, would you wake us up? If there's a part of our life that is um, without care, would you stir us up? God, we want to be attentive to your truth today. We know, we trust that as your word is being preached and as your word is being studied, that your word will accomplish that which you please. And we want you to accomplish in our lives what you desire. And we just know, Lord, that you need a willing heart. You need a humble heart. And so God, with our willing hearts, we come to you asking that you would teach us, that you would remind us of the fundamentals, that we would come back to what is important and we would have an understanding of the scripture at hand. And so we look to you uh, for that divine revelation. And in Jesus' name we pray. We all said, amen. amen. All right, you guys have your Bibles open? Oh, come on. You guys got to talk to me today, all right? I want to hear from you. Uh, yes, this is me teaching you up here. But I, listen, I just, this is just personal preference. I love if I ask you something and you respond. Okay, uh, it, just, it just helps me, it encourages me uh, so that I can keep going and we can get into God's word, all right? So do you guys have your Bibles open? Yes. All right, 2 Timothy chapter two, we're now at verse eight. And the first point in our lesson today is that you and I are to remember the reality of the resurrection. We are to come back to the fundamentals and the most fundamental thing that we can come back to is the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. We're gonna find this in verses eight through 14. Verses eight through 14. The Bible here says, starting in verse eight, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, verse 11, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Awesome. So we need to re remind ourselves 
uh, of course, what we're going to look at, but that Timothy was a pastor. Okay? Timothy was someone who had really great influence in the lives of believers. And so the weight in which Paul is, is saying these things is, is in a weighty matter because he knows that Timothy has influence over others. And he wants him to not only understand this personally, but also to bring this before the people that he is ministering to. And so look back at verse eight, we find the very first word in verse eight is this word remember, which is the basis for our study today. It's the foundation that you and I are to remember. Now, we need to realize that this word remember, it means to bring to mind or to keep in the mind. It means to actively and presently think about something. But it's not just to remember something or someone, but it's actually to then respond accordingly. Right, if your mom or dad tells you, remember to feed the dog, is it enough for you to just say, well, okay, I'll think of that. I'll remember that, but then not actually do it? No, no, the, the, the idea why she or he says remember is that you would not only think about it in your mind, but then would respond accordingly, that you would actually feed the dog. Right, if your dog's dead when, you're, when your parents come back from vacation and they say, why did you not remember to feed the dog? And you say, oh, I remembered, I just didn't do it. There'd be, something, there, there'd be something off there, right? And so when the Bible here says, remember, it's to not only think of in your mind, but then to respond accordingly. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Come on. The fact that Paul says here to remember though, should tell us that the fact that what he's about to say is something that we are prone to forget, or at least at the minimum, take it for granted. And so what are we to remember? We'll look at the following words in verse eight. Verse eight says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He says, remember Jesus and remember what Jesus did, that he came, that he lived a life here according to the prophecies of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament talked about Jesus, this Messiah, the Christ, the sent one, the savior coming into the world. And in the life of Jesus, he fulfilled those prophecies. He, he fulfilled those promises. And the Bible describes for us that not only did he die, but three days later that he rose from the grave. He broke the power of death. And right here, Paul says that we need to remember this. First and foremost, we need to remember the reality of the resurrection. But I want you to notice something in verse eight. He says, it he was raised according to the dead, according to what Paul says is my gospel, my gospel. Notice the, the personal passion that Paul has here. He, he says, not according to even the gospel or his gospel or your gospel. He says, according to my gospel. Why? You see, for him, it wasn't this intellectual thing that he knew. Paul had this personal, personal reality for him that, that he not just remembered that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he then responded by living and serving him. You see, he believed it and lived it so much that Paul was even chained for it. Look at verse nine in your Bibles. 
He says, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. You see, the reality of the resurrection, that that actually happened, was something so personal for Paul that when he was threatened to be imprisoned, he did not stop. So much so that he then was imprisoned and chains were put on his legs and his arms because he believed in the power and the reality of what Jesus did on that cross and what he did rising from the, from the grave. And this word chained, right, means to be restricted, to be bound and confined. But I love this balance. Okay, look back at verse eight in your Bibles. He says, I was chained because I believe in this so much, but the word of God is not chained. Isn't that awesome? Paul says, look, I might've been chained, but God's word was going around as free as could be. There was no restriction. There was no, uh, no bounds on God's word. And we see Paul's exclamation here. He says, but God's word is not chained. I wanna share with you a passage in Philippians. In Philippians chapter one, it's another letter uh, to which Paul was writing when he was in prison. This time he was more on house arrest than in chains. He, he, was, he was definitely uh, in prison, but, but not the type of way that he is when writing 2 Timothy. But notice what he says here, and it's a similar, uh, it's relatable to what we're looking at today. Philippians 1, he says this to the church there. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul says, he, he's encouraging the Philippians. He says, yeah, I might be on house arrest here, but because I'm imprisoned, it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And guys, we have seen this in church history, that when persecution comes, when Satan and the world try to shut down the gospel by killing Christians, by imprisoning Christians, when real persecution comes, the church actually expands, that the word of God, it, it grows in a greater way. You see, this is the reality of the resurrection. And for Paul, even though he was chained, that we even know in Philippians and no doubt similar in 2 Timothy, that even the guards there in Rome, the ones who would be looking after Paul in this way, that they were getting saved. They were actually coming to faith in Jesus. And he says here that because of this, because God's word is not chained, he says in verse 10, uh, he says, I endure all things. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, look, I endure. I keep going. Why? Because that, that salvation that Paul experienced, that my, that my gospel he had, that he lived, that as he was being persecuted, as he was chained, that the gospel was, was going forward. And so he says, I endure all things. And it's at this point, though, that Paul shares with Timothy what he calls a faithful saying. 
a faithful saying. And we see this in verses 11 through 13. And this saying, this phrase, this poem was something that fueled Paul's ability to endure through the most difficult of circumstances. That he was imprisoned, and one of the things that he would encourage himself with was what we're about to read. And he wants to now pass this on to Timothy so that maybe even Timothy would pass it on to others. Remember, Paul's in prison, but Timothy's not. But there might come a day when he experiences similar persecution than Paul. And so he says, hey, Timothy, I want to share with you this faithful saying. And this is going to be something that, that gives you the ability that when life gets hard to keep on going, this is what's going to be able to fuel that. And he says it's a faithful saying, meaning it's a trustworthy saying. It, the idea behind it is that it's something that we can trust that is certain to happen and is going to occur. You know, what we're about to read in verses 11 through 13, I want you to realize it's not just some uh, cute saying that maybe your grandma says over and over again, right? And, and no doubt in all families, we have certain, you, you might have certain sayings that maybe your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, they, they just repeat over and over again, right? Maybe it's something like, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. You're like, wait, wh what? Um, or maybe it's, uh, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Or maybe someone in your family, you know, oh, the, the early bird catches the worm, right? And it's like, okay, there's all these sayings and phrases, and those are nice. There might be some truth to them. That's not what this is. Well, what we're about to look at is something that you and I can go back to throughout our life and we can draw the ability to keep going. And what we're going to look at, it's actually, a, it's more like a poem. If you look in your Bible, uh, if it's like mine, my Bible actually has it where, you know, there, there's paragraphs and then it kind of is like a stanza. If you've ever read Psalms, you'll see where it's just kind of broken up differently than maybe one of the historical books. And we find in here that there are actually four stanzas within this faithful saying. And each of these stanzas, what we're going to look at in a moment, start with the word if. And that if is conditioned on the believer's action. And then it's followed with how God responds. Okay, so the first part for each section is the believer's action, you and I, or what we're going to see, there's one that's an unbeliever's action. And then we're going to see how God responds in each of those things. Okay, so the first one, you can just note down in your note-taking under uh, this little, you can, little heading, faithful saying, is the, the reality that if we die, then we shall live. Verse 11 in your Bible says, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we died with him, who do you think him is referring to? Yeah, it's, it's referring to Jesus. And he says, if you die with Jesus, then you will live with Jesus. That's pretty simple. But it's important that we understand the weight of this. Romans chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can note it down. Romans 6, verse 8 and 9 says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
Jesus tells us that those who believe in him have passed from death to life. It's the idea that in Jesus, when we are associated with his death and we say, I believe in him, I believe that he died on the cross, then not only do we get our sins forgiven for that penalty paid, but in his resurrection, we have life. In John 12, Jesus talks about that unless a seed dies, it shall not live. Did you know that a seed, that a plant, that it first has to die to live? That when you take a seed and you go to your backyard and you put it in the ground, you put some soil over it, you make sure it's got sunlight, you put some water on it, that, in, that what happens underground is that seed dies. And it is out of that death that life comes. It's actually a picture that God has ingrained into creation to show us the picture of the gospel. That Jesus died and then rose again. And you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, that we too die and we become new creations in Christ. Pretty awesome, right? Yes? Second thing you can put down is this endurance to reign. Verse 12, he says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And that's that same word, that word endure, that that ability where Paul said, I'm willing to go through anything for the sake of Christ. That one of the things, one of the encouragements that we can take when we go through difficult things for the cause of Christ is that our endurance on this world translates to reigning with Jesus in the next. This word reign, it's not that uh, we reign over Jesus, but notice in verse 12, he says that we reign with him. And this is a wild concept. Honestly, I don't quite understand fully. All I can give you is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that you and I will be co-heirs with Christ. Meaning that God gives us, we see it in the garden when he gives dominion or reign to Adam to reign over the earth. But in eternity on the new earth and on the, on the millennial kingdom on this earth, that you and I will actually reign with Jesus. Meaning that we'll have authority, we will have responsibility. I don't know what that looks like. All I know is that that's what the Bible says. The Bible says in, in Revelation in two different spots that God has made you and I in Christ kings and priests to our God and that we shall reign on the earth. Like, I don't really know what to think about that. I don't either. All I know is that it it is worth going through whatever we might go through on this earth because there is an end and then there is a reign for you and I. There's a reward. The third thing that we see, look at verse 12. It's the second part. And I want you guys looking at it in your Bible, okay? Verse 12, the second part says, and if we deny him, he will also deny us, right? If we deny him, that's our action. And the second part of that stanza is that he will deny us. And this is the reality of the Bible that every one of us needs to consider and understand. Whether it's for yourself, you're an unbeliever and you've denied Christ, meaning that you say, I don't want him. Or for family members or friends or people that don't know Jesus, we need to realize what the Bible says. Some people try to blur this line. They try to make it gray. Well, uh, the Bible says that if you deny him, that he will deny you. That word deny, it means to refuse to recognize. 
refuse to acknowledge. Maybe you remember a few weeks ago when we had that message entitled Unashamed, and I brought up that illustration about how sometimes that we can be ashamed that we know people, right? We deny that we recognize or acknowledge them. Well, some of us, some, some people can live their life in that way, that they deny knowing Jesus or they deny him not wanting to know him and they refuse to acknowledge. Well, the Bible says in Matthew 10, Jesus said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, he said, him, I will also confess before my father who's in heaven. But Jesus also said, but he who denies me before men, meaning I don't know him, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Now, what we need to understand, it's not a one-time thing. Now, if you know someone that denied Jesus, meaning you shared the gospel with it, and they said, heck no, I don't want that. It can happen, okay? And then a year later, they decided they wanted to follow Jesus. Okay, that, that means that they changed their mind. They repented, changed their mind, and came to Christ. We saw that with Peter, right? Didn't Peter deny Jesus, right? But then in John chapter 21, we see that, that, that relationship restored, we see where he didn't deny Jesus. He, he, uh, he uh, you know, no doubt repented and, and got forgiveness for that. And so the denial that we read here, uh, if we deny him in this life all the way to the last breath, then in heaven, he will deny us before the father in heaven. We, he will say, depart from me, the Bible says, I never knew you. And that's a, that's a heavy reality, but it's a reality that the Bible teaches Fourth and finally, within this, this, this poem, this, these four stanzas, the, this faithful saying that is, everything here is not like, remember, it's not a cute saying, that this is, we can bank on this. You can take it to the bank, it will happen. And verse 13 is oh so encouraging. Verse 13, look in your Bible, says, and if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And guys, this is a wonderful promise for you and I to hold on to. Listen, there's going to be times in your life that you are without faith, that you're faithless, that God has told you something and you don't believe it, that there's a time of testing and you might act in a way that's, that's, that's not becoming of a Christian uh, who lives by faith. Yet the Bible says, that even in those times when we lack faith, that doesn't affect God. It doesn't change God's nature of absolute faithfulness. Notice he says, look at the end of verse 13, he cannot deny himself. It means to contradict. It means to uh, be false to oneself. You see, in the very nature of God, he is faithful. It is impossible for him not to be trustworthy. He will always come through. And what we need to realize, though, is that God isn't like Santa Claus in a lot of ways. Have you guys ever seen the movie Elf? Okay, or maybe any Christmas movie like it, right? In, in all of those Christmas movies, doesn't the power of Santa always depend upon the belief of people, Right? Whether it was an elf, right? You see the sleigh, right? It's like all the, you know, the people that aren't believing in me. So we got to spread that. You see, God isn't like that. He doesn't need people. It's like, oh, as people come to church, God gets stronger and stronger. No. Huh. God is who he is. And whether we mess up, 
It does not change the very nature of God and he is the same. The Bible tells us uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, Hebrews 13, verse eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're looking for some scriptures to memorize, that might be one you want to write down. Listen, Jesus is the same. Just because you had a lapse of faith doesn't mean that now God is different. His love towards you is still the same. His desire to work in your life, it's still the same. Now you might have disqualified yourself from something, but God's heart and God's nature is always the same. And that's something that we can draw from. Now, I believe that this is something that Paul most likely had memorized, right? He had something that it was in his heart, it was in his mind. And he would come back to this. He would come back to these, these promises, this poem, and he would remind himself that, that though he dies in this life, that he's gonna live with Jesus. He would remind himself that just if he can just make it to the end, just keep going, that there is a promise of reward on the other side of eternity. He would remind himself, I'm not gonna deny Jesus. No matter what they pressure me to do, I'm gonna live for him. And finally, I believe that he would remind himself that even in those laps of faith that he would have, God remains true. Isn't that, can't that be encouraging for you and I? That look, our world is ever-changing, is it not? And our own hearts sometimes, it's like, I don't know about you, but my life sometimes feels like a roller coaster, right? There's times when I'm just all on fire for Jesus, and there's times when I just feel apathetic. And I'm thankful that I can always come back, and God's always faithful, always there, and that's something, listen, every one of us can bank on every time. And then we, we kind of end this section in verse 14. Look at now verse 14. He, Paul then says, remind them of these things. Meaning that this was not just something that Timothy was to memorize and hang on to, but it was something for them, for him to take and then remind others, right? He was to remember, to call it to his mind and take action, but then was to spread this to other. He was to remind them of these things things, right? You guys good? Make sense? Let's, let's move on to our second point for the day. Uh, not only are we to remember the reality of the resurrection, remember that the power that we have, that though we might die in this life, we will live in the next, that what happens here no doubt transfers to eternity and we can draw endurance from that promise. But the second thing that we see Paul bringing Timothy back to the fundamentals is that Paul desires Timothy to remember the worth of work. The worth, meaning what something is worth or what something is valued at. And he wants to remind him, look, it's, it's worth the work that you put in. So let's read it and see the context of that. You guys have your Bibles open? Yes. All right, look at verse 15. Verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of someone, of some. Now, 
Paul is a great example to you and I of someone who knew the worth of work. He knew that the scriptures uh, were something that were of the utmost importance. And he knew the scriptures in such a thorough way that he was able to influence so many people. But this didn't happen randomly, right? Paul wasn't born with this incredible knowledge and understanding of scripture. That there was something that had to take place with diligence and intentionality. And same for you and I. Listen, it is worth, it is work to know the scriptures, to know what God has to say, but it is worth it. It is worth it, okay? I want you to write this down, this, this word be diligent. He says this in verse 15, he opens it up. He says, be diligent to do one's best and make every effort. Now, do you ever do something and you put all your strength and might into it for it to kind of result in nothing? I know that, hap- that can happen. But then there's those times when you put absolute diligence and you make every effort, you give it your all, and then you see the result of it and you're like, that was worth it. That was totally worth it. And to do one's best and to make every effort to be diligent. It's not like when mom tells you to do the dishes and so because you want to get back to your video game, you want to get back to reading your book, you want to get back to whatever it might be, you, right, you just quickly rinse water over the dish, dishes and then put it away, right? No one will ever know. Oh, there's just water in the cup. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just dump it out, dry it out, and then put it back, right? That's, that's not doing it with diligence. Rather, to do it diligently would be to put soap, right? Use a sponge and scrub and use hot water, put some elbow grease into it, yes? That would be putting diligence into it. Or it's not like when dad tells you to brush your teeth and so you just brush for five seconds with no toothpaste and uh, run, right, run the water a little bit so it sounds like, don't tell me you don't do it at times or you haven't in, in the past, okay? Rather, to do it diligently would be to brush for a couple minutes, get out the floss, get out the, the mouth rinse, right? The mouthwash and begin to do that. And you and I, are to present ourselves to God, the Bible says, in a diligent matter. And a diligent matter when it comes to handling God's word. Notice, look at verse 15. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God. You and I, every day, we're to present ourselves to God. Romans 12, chapter one says that. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And he says here, so that you might be approved by God. Well, approved to do what? To handle God's word. And he says, a worker, right, who does not need to be ashamed. To be an unashamed worker. And you know that feeling. Like even the things I just mentioned. That you might put the dishes away like that, brush your teeth quickly. But then you feel that shame when mom asks you later on. Right? You maybe your mom asks you to clean your room and then you go in there, you, you, you rustle things around, you throw everything in your closet and you tell mom I'm done, right? And then she comes and she asks you, is your room clean? And you say, yes, it is clean. And then she asks you, so when I go in there and I open up the closet, 
it's going to be all straight, right? Nothing's thrown in there. Everything's put away, right? And then there's that moment where your heart drops and you're like, I thought she wasn't going to check, right? And there's that moment of, of shame because of the lack of diligence. And the Bible says, don't be like that. Know the worth of work. It is worth not haphazardly knowing the scriptures, to, to take God's word and just be like, ah, it's not a big deal. God says, no, no, we need to be a worker, not ashamed. That when we see Jesus, he'll respond. He'll say, you were faithful with, with what I had given you. And how do we do that? Well, look at verse 15. The Bible says that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide. It means to interpret correctly. It actually literally means to cut straight, to handle accurate. It's, it's this picture, okay? I'll, I'll walk it out for you. This is what it means to rightly divide God's word. It's kind of like a tightrope. You guys know what a tightrope is? Hey, that there is one meaning. There is one interpretation for, for the scriptures. There is one rope. There's not, this means this to me. And you and I must as, as much diligence on our part as we can. There's times we're going to get to heaven and God's going to, you're a little, you're a little off on that. You're a little off. You, you believe that, but that's not actually what that meant. But you and I are to do our very best that as, as God has put the, the, the tight rope of scripture, that we are to carefully make sure we are handling God's word accurately. Because once we, if we go to the left or we go to the right and we add to God's word or we take away from God's word, we're gonna fall and we're gonna stumble ourselves and we're gonna stumble other people. Meaning that when we handle the scriptures, when we think about what we believe about God, it must not be something that's not a big deal. We must be diligent in this walking the rope, knowing that there's only, there's not three different, four different ropes. There's one rope. And you and I are to handle that correctly as best to our ability as we can. We are to have a respect and reverence for God's word, okay? Isaiah chapter 66, verse two says, but on this one will I look, on him who has a poor, meaning humble, and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God's word should be something that we tremble at, meaning realizing the power and the authority that comes along with this, that when we say we believe something, we better know it. And if we share something with someone else, we better be accurate. And this is why it's important that we beforehand do the work necessary, not that we just shove everything in the closet. Right, but that we, that we do our best to know what God's word has to say. Psalm chapter 138, verse two, God in the scriptures says this, for you, speaking of God, have magnified your word above all your name. Do you guys catch it? You have magnified your word above all your name. Meaning that, his, his name is the idea of God's reputation, right? You know someone by their name. And God says that my word, I, I hold above my own reputation. 
that we see warnings in Scripture, in Deuteronomy and Revelation, where God says, don't add to my word. Don't take away from my word. But there's a lot of people in our world that add and take away from Scripture, that don't handle it correctly. And so you and I are to do our very best. Look, God fills in the gaps. His Holy Spirit is the one who brings that understanding. But we must approach it with the willingness to be diligent in it. Does that make sense? Sweet. So not only, though, are we to do our very best work when handling God's word, but you and I are to avoid that which is false. I mean, there might be certain things that you hear and you know that's not what the Bible says. You guys ever experienced that before? Maybe you heard aunt or uncle and they say something. You're like, that's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Well, you and I look at verse 16. Not only are we to be these these worthy workers, but verse 16, he says, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. This word shun, I want you to write it down. It means to avoid. That if there is a false teaching, we are to avoid it at all costs. We are not to listen to it. We are not to entertain it. That we are to avoid. It's like when driving and there's a, right, there's a pothole and you might experience your parents, right? Swerve a little bit. Or if there's a skunk, roadkill. You, you, you swerve. It means to avoid, to shun. It means to avoid. Or maybe for you guys, when playing Mario Kart and there's a banana, right? You, you're trying to get, you're going to try to get around it. Maybe that's more relatable for you. But nonetheless, that we're to avoid false teaching. And in our world, listen, there's a lot that is false. And that's why we must be diligent to know what is true, or we're going to take in that which the Bible does not say. But there's a warning here that this false teaching, things that the Bible doesn't talk about, but people might believe, uh, that these false teachings in a church can spread like cancer. Look at verse 17. It says, and their message will spread like cancer. Do you guys see that word cancer in your, in your Bible? So it's a, it is literally the word gangrene. Do you know what that is? Gangrene is a disease. It's actually an infection that start, can start in your toes or your fingers, and it actually begins to rot the flesh. It begins to eat the flesh, quite literally. And if left untreated, that cancer, that gangrene, can begin to spread to other parts of the body. The idea is this, that in, in a church, in a church setting like this, that we need to do our best not to allow false teaching to happen because it can spread and it can ultimately bring death to a lot of people. And we see these two guys are mentioned by name. Look at verse 18, 17 and 18, Hymenius and Philetus. And we're told that these guys, they strayed and deviated from the truth. They, they didn't value work. They didn't put in the work necessary. And so when other teaching came, they wandered away from it. And listen, the, and you might say, what's a big deal? What is the result? What's going to happen if I start to believe something that the Bible doesn't actually say? Well, these guys, they started telling other people that the resurrection had already passed. They, they started saying, well, Jesus already came back. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no hope of the rapture. There's no hope of uh, resurrected bodies. And they began to say things that were contrary to scripture. But uh, imagine if, if there was a student that came in here and they started saying things of that nature. Oh, no, God's not going to come back. 
No, you're, you're not actually, no, when you die, you're going to go nowhere. Your body's just going to go back and you're poof. There's no heaven. There's no hell. What, that can really mess people up. And the Bible says that for, for what happened in this situation, that it overthrew the faith of some. It's a reality that it can really stumble people. And so we need to be, be careful with that. And we need to be diligent. And we need to come back to the fun, fundamentals and remember the worth of work. Listen, it's worth the work when it comes to God's word that we might not add or take away or pervert the scriptures. All right, make sense? All right, we'll end with here in verse 19 with our uh, final point. You and I are to not only remember the reality of the resurrection, remember the worth of work, but we are to remember the firm foundation. We are to remember the firm foundation. Let's read verse 19. Verse 19, the last in our study today. He says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So as we come to verse 19, it's crucial, it's important that you and I remember the foundation. In our world, there, like I mentioned earlier, there's so much that is false. And there's so much that will come against God's word. Oh, does God's word really say? Oh, is it that black and white? Yet we must remind ourselves of the unmoving foundation. But what is this foundation? Well, firstly, you can note down 1 Corinthians 3.11. This firm foundation that you and I build our lives upon, the Bible says, is Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, our foundation is Jesus. And according to John chapter one, Jesus is the word of God. And so this is no doubt something that's an interchangeable truth, that we build our lives upon Jesus and upon God's word. And we can be assured that no matter what kind of false teaching may spread, that his word's not moving. You see, the foundation of something is, is its basis. And it's important that our lives are built upon the right foundation because it affects everything else. Remember Jesus talking about the two different foundations that some build their life upon the rock and when the storm comes, the house still standing, but some build their house upon the sand that when the storm comes, it's washed away. Right, if you guys were at Beach Day with us and you know the, the illustration, right? You, you build a sandcastle, it's all awesome, it's amazing, and then one wave comes and destroys hours worth of work. Well, for us, you see, as Christians, because of what we build our life upon, it's not based upon our work, it's based upon this, this firm foundation. Notice what verse 19 says. Look in your Bibles, this solid foundation of God it stands. He says, nevertheless, regardless of what others believe, and we need to have that confidence that our foundation is solid. It, it is standing. It's maintaining position. And, and it's at this point in verse 19 that Paul gives us this insight, though. 
Okay, he says, the firm foundation is Jesus and his word. Is Jesus and his word. But he says that on this foundation is a seal. Look at, look at verse 19. That there is this seal on the foundation. This word seal, it means a distinguishing symbol. There's an inscription. It's kind of like, right, if you see the, you guys know about the Toyota symbol? Have you ever seen those? You know, there's a lot of times there's hidden meanings behind those symbols. Like if you look at the Toyota symbol, you can spell Toyota within the symbol. You guys go look at it later. It'll trip you out. Um, don't, don't believe me. Okay. Or like, uh, right, FedEx has that, that arrow in the middle. But right, and there's certain logos. And that when you see that inscription, you see that, that symbol, it makes you think of that company. Right? You guys know what I mean? If you see the Ford symbol, then you're thinking, okay, Ford. You're thinking the different whatever. If you see the Toyota, not just cars, but anything. You see uh, Vans. Well, Vans is actually the word Vans is their logo. But nonetheless, right? Or, or, and that's what's being talked about, that there's this seal. There's this distinguishing symbol. There's this inscription upon God's foundation that, that signifies what it is all about. Or maybe, have you guys ever been to like a monument of some kind? You know, California doesn't have a whole lot of history. It has a little bit. Mostly, you know, if you go to like some of the missions and you can see old history. But if you go to the East Coast, there's a lot more monuments that are set up. And sometimes when you go to like a monument, maybe it's like the Lincoln Memorial, maybe it's the whatever it might be. There's oftentimes, there's, there's plaques, right? There's a plaque that, that has an inscription of what is there. Well, the Bible says that on this solid foundation of God, there is this inscription and it's composed of two parts that if you were to boil everything down for the Christian life of what we believe, what we do, what it, what it means to be a Christian, it would boil down to these two phrases. Okay. The first one is this, look at verse 19 or look on the screen that the Lord knows those who are his. This should cause great comfort in our hearts as a Christian. This is God towards us. That Psalm 139 talks about how God knows everything about you. There's nothing secret. God's not, sure, God's not unsure of, of those who are his or those who aren't. John chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Meaning that what is in the deepest part of your heart, no one else might know, God knows. And this can bring us comfort and assurance, knowing that, knowing the faithfulness of God, that he's gonna take care of those who are his own. And so the first one is that God knows you. It, this, that should cause us comfort. Does that make sense? The second is this, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, the first one we take comfort in, but anyone who takes comfort in the first one must, retake, must take responsibility for the second. Notice, let everyone who names the name of Christ, it's to say, I'm a Christian. And if you say, I'm a Christian, then your life should be a departing from sin, departing from iniquity. Think about when a woman gets married and takes upon the name of her husband. 
right before she was known by her maiden name. And then she, she takes, this, this is actually a holy thing. This is a sweet thing. That she says, I'm going to remove being known as what I once was, and I'm going to take upon the name of my husband. And by doing that, a woman abandons taking anyone else's name. There's this devotion, there's this relationship, there's this departing from everything else. And in a similar way, you and I, in the Bible, we are described as the bride of Christ. And we take on his name, which means that we now depart from everything else and especially sin. That as a Christian, we abandon, we distance oneself. You know, the big phrase that we've been hearing for the last year and a half is being socially distanced, right? Well, you and I are to be sinfully distanced, meaning that you and I, our life, as we get closer with Jesus, as we take comfort, as we take comfort, the fact that God knows us, that we are his, and as we draw closer to him, this should cause in our life that his holy fire burns away the things that aren't supposed to be there. Listen, if, you, if in your life, if there's not a departing from sin, that every year that God's not refining and removing, then, then you gotta check your relationship with God. Because those who name the name of Christ, I'm a Christian, depart from iniquity. They go hand in hand. They go together. And so we need to rely on this firm foundation. This is, this is as fundamental as you get to Christianity. Number one, God knows you. He's got you. The work that he started in you, he will complete. But our responsibility then, if we name the name of Christ, that we move further and further away from the world and closer and closer to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come before you and we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to remember these fundamentals, that we would meditate and respond, that it wouldn't just be something that we know intellectually, but it would be something that we do in reality. Would you teach us the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that you desire to guide us into all truth? Lord, we pray that we would remember Jesus Christ it would affect our everyday lives. Lord, that we would take that faithful saying, the reality of death and life and endurance and reigning and Lord, the importance of living for you. God, we just thank you that even in those times that we are faithless, Lord, you remain faithful. You are solid. And so God, we wanna build our life on that firm foundation with that seal, with that inscription we thank you that you do know us intricately and intimately. God, we pray that as we name your name, as we take upon that name, where, where we are now Joel the Christian or Susie the Christian, Lord, and we take upon that name, would you help us to live for you? Would we bring honor to your name, not dishonor? 
Would we bring glory to that name, the name of Jesus? And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and close in a song of worship.